Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel, on this January the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2021. This is an opportunity for people to ask me questions. And since we're not in the studio, you can't phone in, but you can email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And I'll sure attempt to answer the questions. The first one we're going to be dealing with begins, Greetings, fellow theologian of the cross. Now, the reason the writer indicates that we are theologians of the cross is that is a distinction that Martin Luther made between the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. Theologians of the cross look to the cross for salvation, not to their works. And so I appreciated being referred to as a theologian of the cross. The email writer from Minnesota goes on. Two questions for you, and I would love to hear your answers. What do you call Lutherans who enjoy hearing the gospel and not the law? That's really an interesting question. I never really thought about that before because it's hard for me that they love to hear the gospel, but they don't care about the law. You see, that's like going to a doctor and all he tells you is the treatment you need. Let's say, and I I used this just last week, I had a member who went to the doctors and she was told that they had to amputate one of her legs. Now, she would not have done that had he not told her the diagnosis. She was a diabetic and had let things go too far where her leg was so infected that if they did not amputate it, she would die. So she loved to hear what the treatment could be to keep her alive, but it only made sense once she heard the diagnosis. So what do you call Lutherans who enjoy hearing the gospel and not the law? Well, on the one hand, nobody enjoys hearing the law. If we're talking about the second use of the law, where God is accusing us of our sins. Who loves to hear that? In fact, I'm convinced that many people don't even want to become Christian because they don't appreciate the criticism that is needed to be told them that they are sinning not only by deed, but by thought and by word. But you can appreciate the treatment that a doctor is going to give you if you don't hear the diagnosis. And so it's not that we enjoy hearing the law, but we're thankful to hear the law. A recent listener to Law and Gospel made this point, that when I confess my sins, I'm always smiling. 
And of course, you wonder, why would she be smiling when she confesses her sin? Because she said, I know what's coming after, namely the forgiveness of those sins. So while we may not say we enjoy hearing the law in its second use, there's no doubt that that is a necessary item to do. That's why Jesus talks about his ministry is number one, repentance, like John the Baptist, in preparing people to hear the message of forgiveness. Because who wants to be forgiven if they don't think they need it? And, And that's why the law is preached. Now, there is a third use of the law, and that's simply information. We pastors often are asked, well, this is a situation I'm in, pastor. What is God's will for me to do? And then we get into a discussion of the third use of the law. Now, sometimes the answer to that is multifaceted. In other words, somebody says, well, pastor, I'm going to buy a car. Should I buy one that's made in America or can I buy one made in Japan or Germany or some other place? Well, it's not a sin to buy a car elsewhere. But if you're working for General Motors and you're parking in their parking lot, I'd advise you to buy a General Motors car just to show your loyalty to the company that's paying you your salary. But that still isn't the word of God. If you want, you can drive in with a Volkswagen, park it in the front row, and see what happens. So a lot of times, the Bible does not give us clear information as to what God's will is, unless it's a matter of sin. So today, many people are wondering, can I live the lifestyle that I want to live? Well, the answer is, is it a sinful lifestyle or is it one that God permits? And so you kind of can answer on the basis of that. So Lutherans begin the worship service with the law. I, a poor, miserable sinner confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I've ever offended you. That's law. And then we pray for his forgiveness, and the pastor then absolves your sins upon this, your confession. So, you can get to a point where you enjoy hearing God's verdict against you that you fall short of the glory of God because you know the next part is that he forgives that sin and declares you to be righteous in his sight. Question number two from the same writer. Can you tell me more about Luther's bondage of the will? Well, much of Luther's writings came about because of false teachers in the church who did not agree 
with Martin Luther. There was a man named Erasmus, and he was actually very high IQ. In fact, he worked on the original languages of the scripture. But one of the things he believed, he believed that human beings have free will not only in the secular realm, which we believe, but also in the spiritual realm, which is not taught in the Bible. In other words, and there are many congregations that have followed him, that he believed that you could make a choice to believe in Jesus Christ, that you had free will in that area. Now, we believe you have free will as to what newspaper you're going to read, what magazines you're going to buy, what food you're going to eat, what person you're going to marry, even what church you want to attend. But when it comes to the idea that you can make a choice to be saved, wow. That is contrary to God's word. In fact, a number of disciples left Jesus when he talked about that no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he also made another statement, you did not choose me, I chose you. And the parables show that very clearly. Uh, for example, the parable of the lost sheep. Did the lost sheep jump out of the pit and jump on Jesus' shoulders? No. The lost sheep was found by Jesus, and then he came to faith as Jesus brought him home. So, second email. Pastor Tom, I agree with you in regards to Billy Graham. The whole altar call approach to salvation was started by Charles Finney, I believe. Now, what did I say about Billy Graham? If you listen to his sermons, I would say about 70% of what he says is very good. In fact, one of the best funeral sermons I ever heard was at the funeral of Richard Nixon, and it was preached by Billy Graham. There was no altar call at the end of that sermon because, well, Richard Nixon was lying in a coffin. But he talked Billy Graham did a lot about the grace of God given to us by Jesus Christ. But a lot of times, Billy Graham believed that a person could make a decision in order to be saved. And it is true that a man named Charles Finney had come about teaching that. Now, Charles Finney kind of lived at the time of C.F.W. Walther, although there's not too much connection between the two of them. Because Charles Finney believed 
that a person could actually get to the point where you could be perfect in your good works. And of course, we don't believe that at all. In other words, this whole concept of being perfect is not correct. We will be living perfectly when we get to heaven. But while we are here on earth, though our sins have been forgiven, there's no doubt that we are still sinners. And therefore, it's very important that we deal with the truth of the Bible. Pastor Tom, before converting to Lutheranism, I took the free layman seminary classes at Covenant Seminary. Now, Covenant Seminary isn't that far. It's in St. Louis also from Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. And they're Presbyterian. I've gone there and listened to lectures occasionally that I was interested in. Plus, they had an individual that was selling a Bible computer program called Bible Works, and I still use it to this day. I mean, I can look up any word in the Bible, and immediately it will tell me how many times it appears. Uh, we're doing a sermon Sunday about whether or not you know God, because Samuel was said when he was a young boy that he did not know God, yet he worshiped God at the tabernacle tent. So what does that mean that he didn't know God? Well, the word know appears over a thousand times in the Bible. And so the sermon is going to deal with the Bible's understanding of knowing God in contrast to how we think of knowing God. So this layman had seminary classes at Covenant Seminary, and we had Covenant Seminary students taking courses at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, the Lutheran Seminary, and they would get advanced degrees. And there were some very good people there that we could learn from, from the Presbyterians, especially on parables and like that. Well, the letter writer asks, does Concordia St. Louis have something similar? I drive one hour each way to work and listen to recordings of law and gospel each way but I would also like to get some more instruction in Lutheranism. I love your show and I have learned a lot. And then he signs his name. Well, particularly during this time of the virus, there are classes taught at both of our seminaries, Concordia Seminary St. Louis and Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. All you need to do is you go to the website of either one. In fact, you just go to Google and type in Concordia Seminary St. Louis or Concordia Theological Seminary Fort Wayne, 
and their site will open up and you will see there opportunities for being trained in Lutheran theology and taught it through the computer. So you don't leave your home. In fact, one of my really good friends, Dr. James Veltz, took the time to do a course for lay people in learning the Greek. And I often attended Pastor Veltz's classes at the church we both are members of. And there were some people in the front row who obviously had taken his course and knew the Greek. So that's something you can do. Just Google either seminary and take a look and they'll tell you what courses are available. In fact, I just got a note from the seminary in St. Louis that there's a course available in teaching about Lent. And some pastors will take the course in order to do Wednesday night sermons during Lent. So thanks for the letter, and that's my answer. Hello, Tom. Your delivery on the radio is quite good. I think you have discovered the importance of asking questions when teaching. Now, this email came after I made a point that Jesus asked a lot of questions. Uh, Who do men say that I am was one of them. And some said Elijah, some said another prophet, some said John the baptizer. But Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you didn't think of that yourself, Peter. That was given to you by my father in heaven. So the asking of questions is really an important item that I like doing. He, the letter writer continues, this is a hidden secret in helping eyes to see, namely asking questions. Example, when God asked Adam where he was, do you think that God did not know that he was hiding in a bush? Of course he did. But he wanted Adam to know where he was. That's a really good point. Because Adam was saying, well, I was afraid of you because I had sinned. And then he blamed Eve, which of course is ridiculous because in blaming Eve, he's really blaming God. The woman you gave to me, she's the one that caused the problem. And when Eve was asked, she blames the serpent that God had permitted in the Garden of Eden. So it's something that we need to learn, that a lot of times when we hear God accusing us of sin, we want to give him a reason. And it's always a self-defense reason. In fact, the email writer even responded to my question when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? 
He says, do you think Jesus did not know who men thought he was? No, he wanted his disciples to know and understand. So asking questions is a wonderful way to help the student disciple to understand what they only know in part. And so what I have done for a number of years now, I start every sermon with a question and I spend quite a bit of time in developing the question on the basis of the text. Uh, for example, this coming Sunday, I'll be asking the question, do you really know God? What did it mean that Samuel did not know God? And that's an important question because the answer is also a law and gospel answer. So that's going to be the sermon. Again, starting off with a question. I tend to do questions in such a way that either the members of the congregation don't know the answer or they give a wrong answer. Uh, for example, I'll just give you another one. When we're talking about uh, Abraham, I said, the question was, are you righteous enough to go to heaven? Now, the vast majority, even of Lutherans, are going to say, no, I am not. Because when they hear such a question, they imagine that I'm asking them, are you righteous enough in your works to go to heaven? But when they say no, it really gives me the opportunity to talk about that from God's point of view, you are righteous in the same way that Abraham was righteous. Remember, God had come to Abraham, said you're going to have a child with your aged wife, Sarah. Sarah had some doubts about it, but Abraham believed. And then in the Old Testament, it says that God accounted to Abraham because of that faith, him being righteous. The New Testament even quotes that verse, that this is where Christianity is totally different than any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world outside of Christianity teaches that a person is righteous by doing good works, by following the commands and the rules of God. Just take a look at the Islamic religion or Buddhism or Hinduism or even religions that don't have gods. They're still talking that the purpose of God is to have you become righteous by your works. Well, Ephesians makes clear, you are not righteous. You're saved by grace, which is God's undeserved favor towards you, through faith in believing the promises of the gospel, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And see, that's what the law helps us to stop from doing. 
and that is to stop from boasting about our works. Like you may go to church every Sunday. You may even go to the Bible study. You may read your Bible. You may talk to your kids. Well, those are all good things. But once you begin to boast about them, giving the impression to God that I should be saved because of what I am doing for you, I'm good enough to be saved. That's false theology. You're good enough to be saved because of what Jesus Christ did. He paid for your sins. He walked the perfect life and transferred his righteousness over to you, particularly at your baptism. So I appreciate these email letters. On Monday, we usually do the lessons for the following Sunday, but this Monday is a federal holiday, so you will be hearing a repeat broadcast of Law and Gospel. We will be back live on Tuesday with a hymn that Pastor Mark Smith and I will discuss. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.